Friends, God's word, the truth about Jesus Christ is what we have the most. Today, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we're going to notice this idea reverberating from this letter to the chosen exiles. What they needed the most, what they needed in the highs and lows of life and the joys and sorrows and the death and resurrection of life, the struggles of life, is God's word and his wisdom. They needed and received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is a gift that others have longed to see. And these Chinese believers show us how we need to think about this. This is what we needed the most. And let us hold God's word close to our hearts like they were doing. First Peter 1, 10 through 12. Let's look at this passage. First Peter 1, starting at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Now, the first few times I read that passage, it was a little confusing. I was like, really? Okay, what are we talking about here? What is Peter getting at? He's linking the salvation that he explains earlier in the chapter through Jesus Christ, that they are are these elect exiles who have this living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, But what is he talking about in this passage? Let me give you a summary of a guy named Eugene Peterson and the way he puts this passage. He says this, the prophets who told us this salvation was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it, that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when, who and when the Messiah would come. All they were told was that they were serving you, you who by order from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the spirit the message of these prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. That's a summary. Point number one of this passage, verses 10, through, verses 10 and 11, are salvation prophesied. Salvation prophesied. Verse 10 states, the Old Testament prophets, quote, searched and inquired carefully, unquote. This wasn't a haphazard job by previous prophets. They took their job very seriously. Scholar David Helm says this, the prophets' best days were spent searching out salvation's fulfillment. They were men who studied long and hard. They poured over God's word as he was giving it to them. Now imagine, just put on your imagination cap right now. So if you're kind of tired, hope you can kind of exercise a little bit. Just stand up and stretch if you need to. I don't mind. Uh, Imagine you're one of those prophets. And God has revealed to you certain aspects of the Messiah coming. But you don't know when the prophecy is going to take place. I'm guessing you would hope that the prophecy would take place in your time. Like in your lifetime, you're like, yes, that would be awesome. I would love that in my lifetime. But as you get older, you realize this isn't happening in my lifetime. This is for another generation. This is for a distant day. Imagine being one of the later prophets, later in the exile, uh, somebody like Daniel, and you're pouring over previous prophets and what they wrote. So maybe you have the, the scroll of Isaiah, And Isaiah has shown that there's a child that would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of his kingdom there would be no end. And you're pouring over that as Daniel reading Isaiah, and you're like, okay, I 
a child that's a king, a child that's called mighty God. Like, how does all that work? And then you keep reading in the scroll, and Isaiah talks about a suffering servant who would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes, we've been healed. So there's a substitution language going on that seems to indicate the suffering servant. Is that suffering servant the same Messiah, that child, that king that he was talking about earlier? And you're trying to put all this together and it's probably quite mind-boggling. You pick up Ezekiel's scroll and he spoke of a shepherd who would guard and protect his exiled people. You read Micah and it talks about from Bethlehem shall come forth one who will be a ruler. Is that ruler the same ruler that, that Isaiah is talking about? If you're Daniel, you're trying to put all this together and you're struggling. You might be like, well, is that just a made up scenario? Well, what we actually find in Daniel chapters 7, 8, and 10, is that Daniel's struggling. He's seen visions as well as he's probably read other scrolls, and he's like, how does all this work out? In chapter 7, it says that he's anxious about visions. In chapter 8, he's laying sick because he doesn't understand all that's been revealed to him. In chapter 10, he says, I have no strength. Like, I don't understand all this that's being revealed, both the joys and the judgments, the things that are talked about about the future Messiah. But also remember that the prophets, their role was living out the prophecies often. God working in them in their lives prior even to the prophecies being said to God's people. For instance, Ezekiel laid on his side, tied up in ropes for 390 days. That's a long time. Talking about bed sores. Like, and it's not saying he did that continuously 24 hours a day, but every day for 390 days, he tied up himself and laid on his side. Why did he do that? Because it was something God told him to do because he was, it was representing the 390 years that Israel had rebelled against God and the besiegement, like the ropes that was coming upon them. Or Hosea, he's called to live this out. He's called to marry a prostitute who will continually be unfaithful to him. And Hosea is to pursue her, representing God pursuing his prostituting bride. Being a prophet was no easy job. They searched and they labored and they gave their life to figure out God's plan for God's people. They represented God to his people and they wanted God's people to know God. But what did they want to specifically know? That's what we see in verse 11 of 1 Peter 1. The prophet searched and inquired carefully, verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he, the Messiah, predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now notice that as these prophets searched the Old, Old Testament writings, they had some help. It wasn't just them on their own. It says the spirit of Christ was in them. So in the Old Testament, we find that the Holy Spirit temporarily comes upon people and that's what's happening for these prophets. The spirit helped them as they searched for the person and the timing of the Christ, of the Messiah. And what was the spirit showing them? This is really important. The spirit was showing him that the Christ, the Messiah, would go through suffering and then glory. Suffering and then glory. And now for us, you may have grown up around church and you're like not really that astonished by suffering and glory. You may be grown up, well, the King Jesus, he died on the cross. So the King's suffering isn't like new to you. It's not really that big a deal or surprising to you. But for the Jews... For the Jewish mindset, for these prophets, the Messiah, the coming king, the rescuer, the deliverer, he would not suffer, would he? He was going to be this military leader. He was the king. He would be taken over. He'd be wiping out Israel's enemies, whether it was Egypt or Assyria or Babylon or Persia or Rome. No, this king, the Messiah, would not suffer. He would conquer that would be the normal mindset. You actually see that in the New Testament, how people start interacting with Jesus. Even Peter says, uh-uh, you're not going this way, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
You don't have the mindset of what's going on here. No one expected this. And the prophets longed to look into this and were trying to figure this out. What these prophets started to see and what now we clearly see on this side of, of Jesus in the New Testament is that Jesus does conquer, but his conquering is through suffering. Christ is the victor by his substitutionary death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. Jesus conquers death, so death is now a doorway to eternal life for all who trust him. He conquers Satan. Satan is now bound, awaiting final judgment. Jesus conquers the grave. All who trust in Christ will have new life in the new resurrection bodies in the new Eden. So the Spirit revealed to the prophets the suffering of Christ and subsequent glories. And friends, just slow down even more on that phrase. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter's talking to an exiled people who need encouragement. They're going through temptation and seduction and persecution and ostracization. But they have a king who suffered temptation and persecution and ostracization. And that king has subsequent glories. Suffering is not the end of the story. Trials are not the end of the story. Struggle is not the end of the story. There are subsequent glories. And what are these glories? His resurrection, for sure. His kingly ascension to the throne, for sure. But might it also be thousands of years of Jesus' body, his church, are walking out the gospel on this earth? Might we be living in the subsequent glories even now as his body, Jesus, so affiliated with his church? When Saul was persecuting uh, the church, Jesus shows up and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with his people, his body. He is the head and we are the body. We saw last week that various trials now test the genuineness of our faith. We're being refined. But verse seven, the second part of verse seven says that we may result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the subsequent glories are all that Christ has done but I would put forward all that his people in Christ have also done. There's glory in living in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now notice back in verse 10, what these prophets revealed. It says that the grace that was to be yours. These prophets were laying a foundation that would be built upon, founded in grace, founded in unmerited favor of God, and it is gracious of God to reveal himself and his plan to us. They revealed that the Messiah would suffer, and the Messiah would raise in victory. Friends, we must note the New Testament builds on the Old Testament. The New Testament has 283 direct quotes from the Old Testament, but also at least a thousand references back to the Old Testament. Like you cannot understand much of the New Testament if you don't know your Old Testament. Like if you're trying to read the book of Hebrews, you will not understand it unless you know the Old Testament context. You see, the apostles of the New Testament were building on the foundation of the prophets of the Old Testament. Peter's telling us this should affect us, believers. This should affect us. Wayne Gruden puts it this way. Now that we know who, Jesus, and what time, Jesus' life and subsequent church age, we should read the Old Testament prophets eagerly, expecting that our hearts will often be stirred to praise when we discover as a central theme the sufferings of our Savior on our behalf and the glories of the resultant kingdom of which even now we are members. In other words, the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus for the church's benefit. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus for the church's benefit. Now, it took me years to get this. Now, I went through seminary. I had my master's degree. Uh, I had an Old Testament 
professor that was super dry, like dry, like super dry. Like my wife and I still have sayings from that class that was like, that was the worst class ever, which shouldn't be for an Old Testament class. But then I remember having our first little daughter opening up the big picture story Bible, which there's a picture on the screen, opening this up and starting to read it to her. And all of a sudden, reading this kid's Bible that has like, you know, two sentences on a page or something, being like, oh my gosh, I have missed it. I did not realize the big picture of God's story and his plan. The themes and threads of the Old Testament that then go into the New Testament. In Genesis 3, God kills an animal to cover Adam and Eve in their sin. That's the first death that happens. In Exodus chapter 12, people kill a Passover lamb to cover the doorway so that they can pat that the, the, the angel will pass over and the firstborn will live. Then the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, both in the tabernacle and the temple, the atoning sacrifice, an animal dies instead of the people. And then you get to Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, Passover Lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. He dies so that we might live. He covers us with his blood. And you're like, the threads, and that's just one thread. There's so many threads. And I was blown away reading this little kid's Bible. It was like a map of the Old Testament starting to form in my mind. All roads lead to Christ. Yes, the Passover lamb, but also the tabernacle as Jesus will tabernacle among us and dwell with us. Yes, the kingdom in the Old Testament, yet the future kingdom of the New Testament. Yes, the priesthood uh, that you see in the Old Testament that ends up being the great high priest of Jesus in the New Testament. It all leads to Christ. Yes, Jesus is the better Adam and the better Moses and the better Israel and the better David. It all points toward Christ. And friends, let us treasure and love God's word and mine the scriptures for the pure gold that is in there. Let us be students of God's word who then bring others along to know God's word and marvel at it as well. And let us realize the gift we have, like those Chinese believers holding their Bibles and saying, this is what we needed the most. If you don't feel like you know how to read the Bible, we would love to help you. We would love to help you. I was in a, the Christianity Explored class we're having at CSU right now. There a couple weeks ago, Dan Leach doing a great job, Professor Leach, and just sharing. There's 13 students in there, some believers, some not believers probably. It's not a required class. And so Dan's sharing with these students. That he's like, you've been in class all week, all day long, and now at five o'clock on Tuesday, you're in this classroom. Why? Like, why are you here? Like, it's an interesting thing. Why would a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds show up in a classroom with a professor when they've been in classes with professors that they pay for all week? The girl beside me said, I've been around some churches growing up, but I really don't understand the Bible. And I was hoping you guys could explain it to me. I was like, yes, <laughs> we definitely want to explain the Bible. We would love for you to know the love of the Father and the shepherding care of the Son and the comfort of the Spirit in God's Word. And friends, if that's you, if you're just like, I'm just, I'm just trying to learn a little bit. I don't fully get this. Maybe you've grown up around church and you didn't fully get it. Maybe you have your master's degree like I did and you're still like, yeah, wasn't happening. Let me give you four just simple tools. One is, there's a video series, there's a website called The Bible Project. The Bible Project just has videos on each of the books of the Bible. It has themes of the Bible. Just watch some videos. Like, do that with your kids and then talk about them. It's a wonderful resource that you can use just to learn about the Bible. It's called The Bible Project. Second, get some really good kids' Bibles. Don't be ashamed if you're like, man, I've been around church my whole life and I don't really get this. Like, go buy the kids' Bible and say it's for someone else, like your niece or one of the babies that's going to be born. Like, well, I'm going to give it to them. 
but I'm going to read it first and then give it to them. You can do that. So the Big Picture Story Bible and Jesus Storybook Bible, and there's probably others. And I'll just encourage uh, parents or, or folks, if you have like a 101 resource, please put it on Realm, and let's just share resources with one another about what are those first steps of knowing the full scriptures. There's other books I could recommend, but I don't have time. And then I'll just encourage one-on-one conversations. Be around believers who love God's word and ask them questions. Whether it's in your D group or community group, have conversations about the Bible and just grow in learning. And then just know, we hope to have more Christianity Explored classes. We're open to those. We're basically just walking through the Gospel of Mark together and who is Jesus. We hope to have some this summer. If you're interested in hosting one or being a part of one, we would love to do that. Let's look at one more verse today in uh, verse 12. The second point is prophecy's purpose. Look at 1 Peter 1, 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the prophets as they search and learn, begin to understand something. In their searching, in their learning, it's not to serve themselves. It's not to serve themselves. What's the text say? It's to, it's to serve a different generation. It's to serve, Peter says, you. Now, who's the you? It's the original recipients that Peter's talking to. And I would just say the ongoing church of Jesus So it is for even us that the Old Testament prophets searched about the suffering and the subsequent glories of the Messiah. Why did they work so hard and try to figure this out? It's for us. It's for the believers in this church age that we need to know about who Jesus is. And they searched to serve us. Friends, we all stand on the shoulders of other believers. We all stand on the shoulders of learning from other people. David Helm says this, the prophets learned that they were serving a distant generation. Can you just imagine that? Just like they're working hard, but they're like, we're not sure when that's happening or how that's happening. You just think about Isaiah. He was 750 years prior to Jesus being born. 750 years prior to Jesus' birth. And Isaiah's writing and he's a like, I'm not sure that distant generation. But aren't you so glad for saints who have gone before us, whether it's these prophets or, or Peter or other saints in history who have passed down God's word to us? I was thinking this morning about William Tyndall. I don't know if you know who William Tyndall was. He's the one who translated the Bible into English. Like 80% of the words we're reading right now are from Tyndall back in, anybody know the year? This is 15, 1600s? 15. So like we're reading his work. You know what happened to Tyndall? He got executed for translating the Bible into English. Like we stand on the shoulders of others. I was thinking about people that we read, whether it's Augustine or Luther or Richard Baxter or Francis Schaeffer. Like I appreciate these old dead guys and we get to still read them and be friends with them and learn from them. Or current authors like John Piper, Rosaria Butterfield, Tim Keller, Paul Miller. There's just a a plethora of people we can read and learn from. I love reading biographies from saints that just compel you because they explain some of the scriptures, but they're like, I'm going to live this out. Like Adoniram Judson or Corey Tim Boone or, or Brother Andrew. Like those are ones that compel me to live for Jesus, to put it all on the line for Christ. That's the same heart that those prophets had. We're doing this to serve you. We're serving a distant generation. And I'll just say, older saints, put it on the line to serve the next generation. And then next younger saints, put it on the line to serve the next generation. The next younger, put it on the line to serve the next generation. And teenagers and kids, put it on the line. Live for King Jesus his suffering and subsequent glories because there will be a generation after you. Notice verse 12. 
What was revealed by the prophets is now, quote, announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the saints sent from heaven. There's a second group of guys being mentioned here. The first group is the Old Testament prophets. The second are those who were preaching the gospel to the church. Is those teaching the Old Testament texts And they're teaching the truth of the good news, the gospel, Christ's perfect life in accordance with the scriptures, Christ's substitutionary death in accordance with the scriptures, Christ's glorious resurrection in accordance with the scriptures, Christ's kingdom and future return in accordance with the scriptures. They preached the gospel. It says they announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Spirit. And Peter wants the original audience to marvel at this. He says, in fact, there are angels who would love to look into this. They would love to grasp this, the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. They're divine beings who long to see what you see. They have longed much to see how God's redemptive plan would work out. Remember, some of these angels probably knew Lucifer. They they probably knew Lucifer. They saw this whole thing happen. They may have been friends with some of the fallen angels, which we call now demons. Angels knew about Adam's sin. They blocked the way to the tree of life. They watched as stories unfold. Just think about the angels coming to different prophets and and people in in the text of Scripture. Abraham, Joseph, Ezekiel, Mary, Joseph, Peter. John, angels appearing to them at different parts of life. They've longed to know how all this would work out. And Peter is saying, friends, you've had people telling you about this. You've had people preaching this to you. You've had the good news of God's redemption announced to you. And angels long to look at this. The prophet served you and now these preachers have served you. And friends, Think about your own history. You've had pastors and preachers and teachers search the scriptures to give it to you. For me, I think about, I was a a teenager. I was a a senior in high school and I was not a follower of Jesus. But I've told many of you this. I actually hated pastors in church, like up to about 18 years old. And then there's this guy who was a pastor who is named Jeff. I saw lots of bad stuff. This guy named Jeff, who is my youth pastor. And for the first time, I saw a pastor with integrity. And I was like, that guy, he loves Jesus. I wasn't a believer, but I trusted that guy, Jeff. Then I got saved a few months later that summer after my senior year. I remember going about three months into being a believer, and there was this fiery preacher at the Southern Baptist Church in Tennessee, where I'm from. And some friends of mine were going. They're like, let's go uh, to this little church and we go and this guy like I I he like looked into my soul like as he preached it was like did he like did he watch me all week like how does he know what I'm like struggling with and he was like he would just stare at you and he was just this serious preacher and and it was like oh that was helpful I needed to grow and learn I think of a guy named Raymond Burnett and Jeff Fuchs who hired me as a 19-year-old intern, and they loved the church. They just loved the local church, and they simply taught the gospel. And then I think about movements like the Passion Movement and Louis Giglio. I remember speaking the first time I was ever supposed to preach and like listening to Louis Giglio's sermons and being like, how can I talk like that guy? I like that guy. John Piper, I knew I'd never be that guy. (laughs) Think about a guy named Dwayne Milioni who shepherded me. He shepherded me through my new marriage, my first pastoral job, my dad leaving my family. He loved me. He explained the scriptures and held to the scriptures. I remember when we thought his son was dying. And Dwayne's up there preaching the gospel. We were going through 1 Samuel at the time. And like we were praying over his son. And like we know he may die. And God healed him. And he still lives today. 
but like that guy pouring over the scriptures in the midst of his world being torn apart. It meant so much. Mickey Conley faithfully preaching the scripture and just not taking himself too seriously. Some of you guys know Mickey because he's preached here. And just helping me see pastors are just people. Or as Tim Hudson will say, you're just a schmuck. That's true. He's like, you just need Mike, they need Mike Seaver the schmuck. I was like, welcome. That's not too hard. Being molded by C.J. Mahaney or Jeff Perswell or Mike Bullmore or David Platt. Friends, what a gift we have. God loves us so much that he has prophets who have searched the scriptures for us, apostles who pass down God's word to us, then preachers and teachers who bring us God's word to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news announced to us that is life and hope and joy and peace. Take a moment to think about your life. Thank God for those who have poured into you who announced to you the good news by the Holy Spirit. And I just want to take a moment to thank you, Risen Hope Church, for how you receive the word of God. It is a joy to preach God's word to you. It is fun. You are an eager bunch leaning in to God's word. You don't want TED Talks. You don't want pithy moral messages. You want God's word. You want to feed on God's word. You want to understand God's word. You want to apply God's word. You want to live out God's word. And you want this precious gospel to be preached as precious. Because if we don't preach it as precious, you're like, hey, I got an email or a text like, hey, there's a problem here. Awesome. Send the emails. Let's be Bereans that search the scriptures. This is what we needed the most. The lady holding the Bible in that video said, this is what we needed the most. You guys exemplify that, and I love it. Christopher, you can come on up. And friends, note this. Peter is writing to elect exiles. Those who may be feeling abandoned or homesick or struggling with sufferings and trials in the world, but what did they need? They didn't need the trials to end. They didn't need just relief from the struggle. They needed to know the truth of God and his word. They needed to know these prophets who searched the scriptures and passed it down, these preachers who preached the gospel. They needed the preciousness of the gospel that is the living hope of the resurrected king. They needed that. And friends, that's what we need in the midst of struggles, in the midst of this pilgrim voyage that we are on toward eternity. So we're going to end this way today. We're just going to pray and have God's word read over us. And you're participating in that. So if you have scripture that God just put on your heart, we're just going to have a time of reading scripture at the microphone here, over God's people. That's what we need. We need God's word. And I would just say, if scripture specifically of the suffering and subsequent glories come to mind, would edify us and encourage us. So let's just take some time to pray. And you pray. Say, Lord, do you want me to read a scripture? And if you feel like the Lord says yes, and you hesitate, please just do it anyway. Don't be embarrassed. We will listen to God's word. This is about God and his word and his care for his people. It's not about me. It's not about you. So if you would like to read scripture, if God's put something on your heart, come up to Samuel here. Might have some other pastors helping him out. And let's just read God's word over each other right now and be edified.
Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him at all times and he will act. Bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jude one seventeen. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Habakkuk chapter three, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the, oil, of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The word of the Lord. Philippians 3, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Then Paul says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. First Corinthians chapter one. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Luke 4, verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them all. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Psalm 34, 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. 
the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses one through five. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. <laughs> James, two, James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1, also, uh, verse 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Psalm 73, verse 21 through 26. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. First Peter, verse 5, chapter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid 
of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. stand together. We're going to sing a song called the, Your Words Are Wonderful, just to let you guys know in the back.